What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down with Troy Sear, the president of New York Post Entertainment. Now, this is a guy that has fantastic stories. The individuals he has worked with in the reality business are some of the, let's say, crazier characters we've come across. And I'm talking Bonaducci. I'm talking Sizemore. I'm talking the two Corys. But what I didn't know until recently is that Troy Sear created one of my all-time favorite TNBC Saturday morning comedies on the scripted side. I'm not going to give away what it is because we're about to get into that. Also, full disclaimer, we do talk about a couple series that Troy developed and produced with Kevin Spacey. We all know the Kevin Spacey stuff that's gone down as of late. We did not get into that because that has nothing to do with Troy. This is my sit-down with Troy Sear, master storyteller, president of New York Post Entertainment. I hope you enjoy it. So you're a newspaper man now. <laughs> is that it? Selling the Post. Get yeah. your papers. The New York Post's own Troy Sear. Does that still sound a little strange to you? Very strange. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah, you know, because I, I knew – Get a little know, closer. Get a little closer. Okay. People have – you know, people have tried this kind of thing in the past with varying degrees of success. You know, Conde Nast has tried it and even the, the New York Times. Um, but what appealed to me – I mean, my – you know, typical Hollywood thing. But my agent called and said, look, there's, there's a great gig that I think you'd really be good at. But it's going to be super competitive and don't get your hopes up. But uh, Jesse Angelo, who's just this – amazing visionary you know who's the publisher of the post is looking to open up an entertainment division television film unscripted scripted you name it he wants to do it all and you know he certainly wants to call from the post but he wants to have it be a complete separate production entity as well and you know and he had me you know two sentences in and then i looked up jesse and was just blown away. Like the guy is just so impressive and, and has done amazing things with the post and their digital side and the whole thing. Um, and so, you know, he wanted the person to be based in Los Angeles. Okay. So, you know, I, uh, and they, because of that, they were doing all their interviews with us over Skype or over phone. I don't know about you, but like I've been on enough janky Skype that there is like no way I was going to do this interview on Skype. So, so you volunteered to fly out? Yeah. So I called my agent. I was like, look, if, unless you give me some good reason not to, I'm going to get on a plane, spend my own dime and, and go back and, and see him face to face because it's important to me. Right. And he's like, eh, you know, if you want to do it, do it. How do you honestly not give you the job after that? How, well, do, how, do, you, how do you not give it to a guy that flies cross country for the interview on his own dime? I think it I think it impressed him. And yeah. and then luckily and coincidentally he was coming out to LA two weeks later. So first meeting goes great. Uh he comes out here, we have like a two hour meeting, that goes really well. Long story short, it comes down to uh myself and someone else. I don't know who this person is, I still don't. Uh, and I'm wigging out because I want the job. And my wife and my older daughter and I, we love the film Almost Famous. I love right, Almost so, Famous. Right, so Cameron Crowe. It's all, Crow it's all happening. Well, there you go. It's so, all happening. So my wife, we always say that to one another. When That's, when, the, that's the quote? When things get janky. Like it's just like we, and so I'm, I'm gripping, you know, because I really want the gig. And she's like, it's all happening. It's all happening. Just relax, <laughs> right? So, so uh, you know, a couple weeks go by. And he said, uh, you know, Jesse wrote and he said, look, 
this is my worst two weeks. I've got to uh, do budgets uh, for Rupert Murdoch and all this stuff. And so, you know, I'm just, just sit tight, you know, and I'm sure he told the other person that as well. So now I've got two weeks, which is the longest two weeks of my life. And during that time, though, I started to look through the post mm. and I just started firing off ideas. Here's what I do with this story. Here's what we can do with this. Then I wrote this Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire manifesto that was like 15 pages of like what I'd do with the job. And I didn't hear anything. And I thought, I'm oh, not, yeah. I, I have the same fate that Tom Cruise had in right. the movie, right? Like everybody, I'm going to get, I'm not going to get the gig. I'm going to get fired. Get your whatever. walking papers the next morning. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Jay Moore is going to show up and, <laughs> and fire you at a restaurant. <laughs> fire me at a restaurant. Oh, so it's in a public place. But the whole time my wife is saying to me, it's all happening. It's all happening. Right? I love your wife. Yeah. Yeah. She's, I love her too. Yeah. Uh, how she puts up with me. I have no idea. But, um, so so I get so you I hear fire back. manifesto, and how long was there silence? A couple of days. So I'm that's I'm, an excruciating I'm couple yeah, of days. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm literally losing my mind. So I hear back, hey, loved what you wrote, uh, all of it. Um, do me a favor, write down everything that you'd like. Uh, what what's it going to take for you to to come on board? Which mm. I'm also sure he probably did with the other person. Mm. So I wrote down, you know, I wrote down my you know quote unquote demands, and. Um, but the last thing was that I wrote was dinner with Jesse Angelo, steak dinner with Jesse Angelo to consummate the deal, right? So that was that was the final thing on my on my list yeah. of demands, right? So so uh, so he calls and says, "Look, I'll, I'm I'll, a I'm a vegan. <laughs> I'm a vegan. So you're done. <laughs> so so I get this email. It says I'll, I'll have a decision this next week. So now it's the Sunday before the decision week, right? Okay. Four thirty in the morning. I'm laying in bed. I cannot." sleep I'm, I'm just literally can't can't close my eyes and 4 30 our time i get an email and it's from jesse and he says uh can you talk today immediately i went to the i, I you know started to write back but then i thought what's this guy gonna think right. if i write back at 4 30 in right. the morning like did this dude just come in off a bender or like little, what's what, what's the deal a little thirsty Troy. A little, so, exactly yeah, a little yeah exactly yeah. so i thought if i it's like dating right yeah, it's right, like exactly it's like, right. it's like if i if i wait till five that at least well, seems you think respectful. i'm less anxious right? maybe right. i'm maybe i'm up working out this guy's a go-getter right. you know so at like a little after five i write back of course you know can talk whenever it's good for you 20 minutes later his assistant writes how's noon noon's fine Noon, I'm sitting by the phone. Phone rings right at noon. And he says, uh, I'm calling to offer you the presidency of New York Post Entertainment. And New York I was, Post Entertainment. I was, you know, I lost my mind. And my wife says, I told you it's all <laughs> happening, right? So so uh, he asked me to come to New York. He was ready to go out of town. So he asked me he was going to be in town three days. So he asked me to come in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So his assistant writes and says, Tuesday night, Jesse would like to have that steak dinner with you to consummate. He referenced it. Yep. And, and she, I said, of course, I'll be there. Have him name the place, right? So we go to dinner. We have this amazing dinner. It's great. We're getting to know each other. Where'd you go? Uh, small steak place in, uh, in the village. Okay. Um, it was great. It's close to his place. And um, so great room, great steak. And near the end, they, they bring the tab. He picks up the check, and he's, he's signing it. There's a table over his shoulder, and it's an open table, and the four people, four-piece four table. And they're, they're starting to bring the people in to seat them. And uh, the four people go in and sit down, and Cameron Crowe was, was one of the people. Yeah. And I for people that don't know, that's the writer and director of, of Almost, Almost Famous, Famous, Cameron Crowe, of I, all the nights. I, 
I honestly couldn't believe it. That's and incredible. It's incre- it was it was really like it's one of those weird life stories where you're just like, wow, it is all happening. <laughs> Troy, you just gave me your best stuff in the first five minutes of the episode. <laughs> I hope we didn't shoot our wad there on the whole thing. That's fantastic. You know, I love – I took this a little bit away from the Bob Bowden episode and, you know – I'm told people listen to this show sometimes because they just love hearing the stories of how people come up, how they chase jobs, how they land jobs. What you just illustrated in that story was such a go-getter mentality that I always try to stress when I do have guests on. I mean you could have just done the interview over Skype like everybody else. You decided to fly. You could have then just sit and waited like everybody else, but you didn't. You do a follow-up manifesto email. You take the initiative to shoot over ideas already based on New York Post stories, which is basically within what the confines of what the position would entail, right? And you're basically doing the job for free for a couple weeks, shooting him thought starters, right? And then you add a little witty one-liner at the end about the steak dinner and all of that to show your personality. I mean, that's how you go chase a job in this market. People think, oh, I'm just going to wait for the phone to ring or, yeah, I'm going to do that PA job and then I'm going to go home and they'll just call me again. But the PAs that always get the job are the ones that write the handwritten letter that is like now distinct, you know, now like yeah, extinct. Yeah. But there's some people that are smart enough to do that. Or they email the person who produced the show and be like, thanks for having me on. Would love to be a PA again. That's how you get hired, folks. And Troy Sear is now the president of New York Post Entertainment giving some initiative that PAs making – I don't know how much they make an hour anymore or whatever <laughs> it is – should be given that same type of initiative. So congratulate, good uh, on you, man. I, I appreciate it, but you should you should thank my parents. They, they brought me up right. Is that, is that right? <laughs> oh, I think so. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they they're they're just good people. You know, I was brought up right for sure. All right, so let's start from there. Then your parents. You grew up in Philly, outside, uh, close to really equidistant from Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. So uh, okay. we're really between Harrisburg and State College, very very close to Penn State. That was that was kind of my backyard. And was that your alma mater? Did you go to Penn State? No, no. I went to a little town called a little school called Kutztown University. But they have a they had a great television and film program there. Okay. Uh, and when I went to visit them, coincidentally, there had been a couple execs from uh, CBS that well that graduated from Kutztown went to CBS. And they had donated two big uh, production trucks, you know, multi-camera production trucks. And they donated those to Kutztown University right before I went to visit. So part of the tour was like touring us through these trucks, which were amazing. And they didn't have them at Penn State. They didn't have them at Temple. And and so it was like, wow, I could – Go here and do this, and those trucks were like signing out a book. Like if if you could if you could go like anybody could just take the production. You could truck? take the trucks if you had an event. Like we we as eighteen year olds, me and my buddies, you know, and I'm sitting in a truck like directing you know six camera productions of concerts and like the Reading Phillies were close by, and you know we we'd go to do things like that. But yeah, that was the that was the draw for uh, for Kutztown. You know, that's awesome. I figured I'd get to sit in one of these trucks and play around. You know? Well, the reason I wanted to have <clears> you on in the first place because. You're one of the few people I know that has crossed over between both sides of the aisle. You've done scripted and you've done unscripted, right? Right. And when I found out, when I found out that Troy Sear, <laughs> the reality TV show producer that I've known for years, created one of the classic TNBC Saturday morning shows, I I wet my pants. <laughs> I was like my I was like my Troy, my Troy who I've seen in the office over here at all three created Hang Time. Uh. 
Now, hang time. <clears throat> I'm, I mean, I don't know if you want, you want to explain to the listeners what hang time was. Well, you know, uh, back, geez, I don't even know how long it was now. Probably in the it premiered in '95. Yeah, so so it, uh, you know, there was a there was a time when NBC had the Saturday morning day part. They had an entire block, and right. and uh, Peter Engel was sort of the master of that day part. He had he was the uh, producer. He was the yeah. producer, and he had uh, Saved by the Bell and. All those, all those Saturday California morning, dreams. California dreams. It was part of that era, right? Yeah, and yeah. I was a huge Saved by the Bell guy. Anybody that knows me knows it's Saved by the Bell and pro wrestling are basically tied <laughs> for my favorite things on earth, right? And Hang Time was one of those shows that came up you know, under the wave of what Saved by the Bell started. And you created it with a couple other friends? With uh, Robert Tarlow. The, the, the way the story happened was I had, I had gotten in – I had gotten a PA job at NBC – and at that, I, I was all I wanted to do was write. I would get up in the morning before work. I'd write. I'd come home. I'd write. You know, and and my wife and I were engaged at the time. She was back east, so I I, I you know, and I didn't have any money really, right. so I wasn't going out. So I I'd just sit at home and write. And at that time, Brandon Tartikoff was was running the network, and and I was fortunate enough that he took me under his wing a little bit, and that was that was you know you can't pay for that, you can't go to school for it. It was just one of those one of those fortunate. Describe things. Brandon. Describe your interactions with Brandon. Well, I mean, there was get, get super close. There was one intera- uh, The one story that that I always remember is that I that I you know he I, I ended up moving up in quickly into a uh, into a really junior development position. Very, very junior. Like, I, I can only imagine the people that came in to pitch me. They must have left and thought, like, what the hell? NBC hired this guy? But um, but a couple younger executives came into my office one day, and they said, listen, the way you keep this job is say no to everything. Like, never say yes, because if you say yes and then the show goes and it fails, your head could be lopped. So never, you know, never say, just always say no. And they'll think you have a real discerning taste, you know, okay. and, and that'll be great. And I'd gotten to know Brandon enough that I, you know, and he said, look, you come over if you need advice, like whatever. And I asked for, you know, could I come over and, you know, next night, you know, it was like closing time. It was like seven o'clock or something. And I went over there and I said, Hey, listen, you know, I, these guys, I'm not going to tell you who told me this. I'm not that guy, but I was told that I should say no, and, and that's the way to do it, and that doesn't feel right to me. But if that's the way I should do it, I just want to know, you know. And he said, Warren Littlefield was the only person here that believed in uh, the Cosby Show, which was the number one show at the time, and he was willing to fall on his sword for the show. And now that's the number one show in the country because he fought for it, and that's why he'll be in hit my chair next. Mm. And, I and said, he was right. And he was right. And I said enough said thank you very much and and got out of there but um while i was at nbc it was an era where brandon could throw money around was it was different then like so they'd throw money around at writers give writers these big deals i mean chris carter was down the hall and just just some really amazing writers and i got to know these guys and and they knew i was trying to write and they were kind enough to read my scripts and tell me how crappy they were and and you know but but it helped and so they brought in a new Saturday morning show called Running the Halls. Okay. And I had written some specs, like a Seinfeld and things like that. And I got to know the executive producer of the show's younger guy. And I said, hey, would you read this? You know, and, and he said – he read it and he said, look, we have a junior position open. I'll give you a staff position. On the writing staff. On the writing staff. Thank you. And so that got me into the Writers Guild. Okay. And I wrote two scripts that season and it was only one – it was one season and done. 
But at the end of that season, I'd gotten to know the Saturday morning execs at NBC, and they seemed to like my writing. And um, and so they said, listen, you know, we'd like to pair you with this un- other younger writer that we really like, this guy named Robert Tarlow, great guy, great writer. And uh, we'd like you guys to, to like, come up with a pitch. And I said, that would be great. So okay. I didn't have anything. Robert really didn't have anything. So we had two weeks before the pitch meeting. So okay. in that two weeks, we came up with Hang Time, which was Girl Makes a Boy's basketball team set in Indiana, the capital of you right. know, basketball. And and so we went in. But before we went in, we found out that uh, Baywatch was super hot at the time, like the, 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 you know, the David Hasselhoff Baywatch. And they were bringing in a kid's version of Baywatch. So we were like, well, there's no way in hell that we're going to – like uh, right. uh, us two chuckleheads and this yeah. idea that we came up with Teen in two weeks. Teen lifeguards or the basketball show. Right. Exactly. It's like, OK, which way is this going to go? Right. You, know? And, uh, you know what's funny about that is that Saved by the Bell, Troy, I don't know if you know this, when it first came out as Miss Good Morning, Miss Bliss, it was set in Indiana. I didn't know that. It was set in Indiana. I thought you were and going then, another direction. And then magically when the Haley Mills version of that show – ended and it became Saved by the Bell. Magically now, Zach Morris lived in California. <laughs> so it's funny that, that you said, it's yeah. funny you said airtime in Indiana and there was still a little bit of connection there. That's yeah. really weird because, you know, that, that show, I was at NBC to see all that happen. And it was another great thing about Brandon because he's a super loyal guy. And Peter Engel, um, who ended right. up being the king of, of that day part, uh, he, Peter was the, he gave Peter uh, the Haley Mills show. Right. And when that failed, Brandon said, let's just bag all the adults from this and just make it about the kids. And he gave it back to Peter and that became Saved that by the Bell. Bell. Peter did such a great job. All right, so, so there's a Baywatch-like okay, so, show right. that you're competing with. You have two weeks to put the pitch together. So we put Is it together. Is Peter the person you pitch or it's at the network executives? No, network executives. And, and we okay. knew they – it was Linda Mancuso who's passed and became a dear friend. Uh, but they they had a meeting where they brought in all the you know the, the foreign salespeople. It was the whole shooting match, and we were just sitting in a little office across the way at NBC Studios in, right. in my little office, like waiting to hear how this was going to go. But we knew how it was going to go. Like right. they were going to go with Baywatch. I right. mean, why, why not? And uh, the phone rings, and it was Linda Mancuso. And she's like, "Congratulations, we took your show." <laughs> and we both looked at each other like, "Come on, you know." And she's like, "No, we did, you know." And and the next thing was, but this, was it a pilot? Like we're going to no, go make a pilot? What a series! Oh, wait, so, hold on. You got a straight series order on a scripted sitcom just from the verbal pitch? Yeah, just from. And we we wrote up. We had a written treatment to it, but uh, and a treatment that, that was it. But it we're, wasn't like we're going to cast now, and we're going to we're just going to go make it. Match. Yeah, and and they knew they knew that you know Robert and I you know I mean we were we were totally green and 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 so they said look we're gonna we're gonna give you an adult <laughs> you know, right. so, to to watch over this and and shepherd this this great guy named Mark Fink who um you know we we ran through the casting and everything and. But he came to us and he said, look, it's your vision. You guys run the room. How old are you at this I'm time? Gonna, I'm 27, I think. 27. 26, 27. And after that run, I mean, in season two, I think Anthony Anderson joins the show, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's what broke Anthony Anderson. Well, it, it really did. And that's the crazy thing because we did, we did the first season. And we wanted it to look different than right. the other things that were on the network. And and I think we accomplished that to the degree that we could. Again, this is a female at a high school making the men's yeah, basketball team. Yeah, female makes a men's basketball team. Right. And, and a great – we had uh, uh, Dick Butkus was the coach. The first season? First season. And then was Reggie Theus and then Reggie, season two? Reggie came on. No, it was it was Reggie and then Dick. Yeah, you're right. You're okay, right. Okay. It was Reg, Reggie Theus for both okay. both great dudes. And yeah, wow. Like that, yeah. So uh, – 
but we we had a we had a blast but we did the first season and we did really well and so but one of the other shows that Peter Engel had uh was was not doing so well and I think it had run its course and so at, at the same time Peter's contract was up mm. so they gave as part of re-upping Peter who had done just amazing things there they said they gave him hang time as well. In season two? In, for season two. Okay. So he had nothing to do with season one. No, no. So And, and now all of a sudden Peter Engel, who's a big personality. A big personality. Yeah. Big personality. Would later go on to create Last Comic Standing. Absolutely. Um, but, and a great guy. And he's yeah. like the king of the Saturday morning teen thing going on at NBC. Absolutely. They now just make him your executive producer. Right. But they came to me and they said, look, you know, and I'd known Peter prior to this and they said, look, you know. It's it's fine. Don't worry about it. You, you'll be you still you know locked mm-hmm. into the show and everything's great. Don't worry about it. Oh, and so, uh, oh God. Yeah, I don't like I, you, you, no, you see it coming. I don't, when I hear those assurances, yeah. I don't like yeah. this you, is going. you see it coming. So I called Peter to say congratulations and I'd look forward to talking about the creative direction of the second season. I don't do many impersonations, but I do a really bad, good, weird Peter Engel because he has a very distinct voice. But I'll never forget, he said, my interest in you returning to the show is very little. <laughs> and I, I was like, he's a good guy. But it was just like, so now they do the second season. I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm out. So uh, I'll never forget, again, I'm in my car. And the second season didn't do well. The uh-huh. ratings dipped. It now started to look like all the other shows. And it was kind of becoming cookie cutter. And I get this call, and there's this English woman on the other phone, the other end, and she says, um, "I'll have Peter Engel for you." And I said, "Okay." And uh, he jumps on the phone and goes, "Try. How'd you like to come back to the fold?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like I didn't realize I was in the fold, but all right, you know, great. And at that point, Peter did me a real solid. Like mm. I came back to the show uh, for the next few seasons, and. Um, and he also put me on consulting on uh, a number of his other shows. Okay. So it was it was a, a financially it was a, it was a good time and and honestly one of the best the like, creative Dude. experiences I've had. It, it, was, I, I, it was it was it was good. Fun. I love that you were part of Saturday Morning NBC lore. It was great, man. It was it was honestly one of the one of the I look back on it so fondly and 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 really it was just good. It was good fortune. It was the right place at the right time. You know? So your your early days when you got to reality TV. Were you an on-set hired producer or were you working as an executive at one of the production companies? Yeah. Because one of the earliest credits I see online after you – I know we talked about how you – off, off uh, Mike, we talked earlier about how you spent some time in NFL films. But on your IMDb at least, one of your earliest credits is Breaking Bonaducci. Yeah. Were you just a, a staffed, like, supervising producer type thing, or were you working at the company? No, when I was at when I was at NBC as a as a really bad development executive, um, I had met uh, JD Roth. Okay, and so JD, G- by the way, recorded an episode with JD. Oh, fantastic! I think, he, I, I think he's his episode's probably going to come out before this one, but yeah, he's 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 a great guy. He's always been super good to me. Um, but we uh, they they were just starting three ball. And it was clear that they needed a development executive. And we started to talk and he was, uh, you know, and and I said, look, I could use a gig. And, you know, so he said, why don't we give it six months, see how this shakes out and and we'll go from there. And one of the, um, during that time, our agents called and said, look, would you meet with Danny Bonaducci? He has a pitch. And I said, look, respectfully, <clears throat> I think we've all seen Danny's deal and I think we know what it is. And he had just done that talk show where it was like five dudes or something. I forget. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like the, the, the view with dudes. Had he done this for real life? <clears throat> no, I don't think so. Okay. 
Perhaps. I, I, you know what? I think he had because right? that was some of my reasoning because I was yeah. just sort of like we, – we, He'd we, kind of already been out there. Yeah, we've seen yeah. it. You know, And so respectfully, I'm going to pass. They called again and asked and I again respectfully said no. By the way, there's a lesson coming here, yeah. which is always take, take the, the meeting. meeting. Take the meeting. Um, so they, I, I said no. Then they called a third time and said, look, we'll pay for dinner. Will you take him and his wife to dinner and listen to this pitch? And I was like, all right, all right. You know, you know. So we go to dinner. We sit down before the food even gets to the table. Danny and his wife had pitched me one of the worst like game show ideas I've 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 ever heard. Now I'm stuck at dinner. Right. You've already passed. I've already passed. I right. mean, in my mind, I've already it's passed. So you know, so, yeah. so so now I've got an so hour or doing? so of dinner. Right. What are we going to do? So we start tell me, talking. Tell me Partridge Family. Yeah. Stories. What are you yeah. guys? Well, what, right. How's your life? You know, and they're like, well, you know, we own this pizza shop and we see a couple's therapist and we have these kids and we're. And, you know, if you know Danny, it's like, you know, heart's on his sleeve. He's just like, yeah. you know. And it was a show. Like what they were pitching me was a show. Right. And I said, listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm not crazy about the first idea. <laughs> but what I do think we have here is is a docu-follow with mm-hmm. you guys, um, if you're willing. And I'd like to actually set it uh, in a therapist office. Uh, if you guys are up for it, hmm. you know, and have it be very revealing and, and, and all that. I had no idea what was going on in their personal life because it feel it, 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 what I found out later was they were ready to separate. Right. And the joke between the three of us then became, wait, there's a show. Right. You know, and um, and so that was that was really great. But so we we shot a we shot a sizzle tape with them. And it was it was really cool and really funny. And we found a therapist who because and we oddly found a therapist that didn't know who Danny Bonaducci was. Okay, and it was great. So and uh, I'll never forget that night because I walked down to to Danny's uh, uh, dressing room where he was. We we had set up a, a therapy room that we could shoot in, and we'd cut holes in the walls and the whole deal. And I walked down to him because his therapist was was really smart and sharp. And I walked down to Danny and I said, "Man, I'm a little concerned." What do you mean? You know, I said, this guy's really sharp, man. Like, I, I this may not, boy, I don't know. He goes, you just took me, you know, and he just you took it as a challenge. Yeah, and I, so then I walked down to the therapist. I was just like, I don't know, man. I think you got your hands full with this guy. Like, he's really intelligent and, like, oh, very, nice. like, and I think, and he was like, well, just let's start this thing. Now. Let's get this started. <laughs> Good old-fashioned reality producer. You know, right well, there. there you go. So, so uh, we put them in there, and it was like, it was like caged animals, you know. And, and within three minutes, um, the therapist said to Danny, if you think you're such a good father, what, why are you such a good father? And Danny said, because I tell them not to be like me. And, and, was, he, and he started the, to cry. And, and like the, the VH1 executive just looked over and was just like, all right, we, you know, we're, we're, we're good. That was, the, that that was, like, the, it was like a paid presentation. That was really it. And so, yeah, that, that became my baby for, uh, for two years. And the, the funny – another funny story. I'm babbling. Uh, but another funny story was like Michael Hirshhorn, mm-hmm. who, who I love, was, uh, was running VH1 at the time. And he was a big fan of the show and was really looking forward to it. And about a week before we were ready to start shooting, mm. Michael called me and he said, I want you to give me a show so dangerous you don't think I'll put it on the air. That's so funny. He said that? Yeah. That's so funny because the only other time I ever heard that – that must have been the mantra over there. Because the only other time I ever heard that was from Jeff Old 
when we were producing Mob Wives, and he told me and Ben that over dinner one night. He said, I want you to pitch me shows that you think would get me fired. Yeah. Je- Jeff's, That's what he said. Jeff's a great guy. That must have been I, the VH1 mantra I, that got it, passed down. It, it may have been because Jeff was involved on the – Jeff was running the West Coast. Michael was you know, right. I think overseeing all of it, but he was on the he was right. on the East Coast. And now I, a network executive will just say, I'm going to get fired no matter what. Exactly. Just, please <laughs> don't do anything too dangerous. You know? But so I called Danny and I was like, listen – Michael just said this to me, and he goes, well, he's come to the right place. And so we we tried it. The, so the first episode, I knew Danny was uh, using steroids. Mm. And I said, look, are you willing to shoot steroids on camera? And he was like, you know that's a felony, right? <laughs> it's like, I don't know, but are you willing to do it? And he said, yeah. And so Danny What's was – What's the legality around that? I don't know. I didn't What's the know. protection for him I, on that? He just – he was willing to do it and I was like, well, you said dangerous, so let's right. give it a run. So we had him upstairs. The family was downstairs. Nice family moment. They were chasing the dog around and I forget the track we used, but it was a really great track and those were the days where you could use anything on VH1. Yeah, Our yeah, music yeah. was open game. And so we did this cut back and forth between Danny loading the syringe and the family playing nice downstairs and Danny loading the syringe you know, and then he just – puts it like shoots right. it right in his butt and and then we cut the episode together and sent it over and i was like all right here it comes like we're we're gonna catch all sorts of hell for this and uh the notes we got back were you know change the swear words you know bleep <laughs> the swear words and, and at time. that point we knew it was on and and so we had a great first season made a little noise and did well and um and then when it came time for the second season Michael said, listen, I'm coming out to L.A. I want to have breakfast with you and Danny. I want to you know, talk about the, the pickup for the second season. So we said, great. So we sit at this diner and you know, small talk, small talk. We order. We get our food. Both Danny and I are waiting for the, the moment. And finally, Michael says, you know, okay, guys, so um, I want to talk about the second season. And Danny puts his fork down on the plate. And he goes, Michael, if I may, the first season we robbed a bank. If we rob a bank in the second season, you're an accomplice. We're not robbing any banks. And he went back to eating. And Michael just looked at me and winked, and that was the pickup for the second season. Because I was like, all right, we will, <laughs> the danger thing is done. Like, we'll go another direction. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good for Bonaducci, It was by pretty the way. good. Bonaducci's great. He's, he's uh, super whip I mean, smart, great you guy. You really found yourself, though, in this pocket of damaged celebrity reality shows because you know i know you, you worked on biggest loser and beauty and the geek and i kind of covered those with jd uh, and those are near and dear to my heart yeah, are, I've, great, talk, I've talked before those are two shows. of my earliest pa jobs wow, on the shows wow, I didn't know that. but um shooting sizemore yeah and then you do the two Corys. yeah and you know we don't need to get into the tom sizemore stuff as much but you know it's really interesting about the two Corys is it's not one of those shows that gets brought up a lot like on a pop culture level you know like when people talk about the great reality shows, it's not who like you know critics bring up. But among people in our business, I swear to God, I've heard more the two Corys stories told to me by former <clears throat> producers and executives about that show than any other. Like it's like I hear stories about Dog the Bounty Hunter a lot, right? I hear stories about you know some of the old dating shows that used to be on VH1 and things like that. Real world, I hear some stories, but the two Corys, I mean, there's some good ones. I mean, some real good ones, what Corey Ham was going through at the time and Corey Feldman. And you tell me if I'm wrong, Corey Feldman kind of having this like interesting sort mm-hmm. of like control over the other Haim, 
right? Absolutely. Like, what was the dynamic with them when you first met them? Because I know the story. I know the, the show kind of went through an evolution of becoming <clears throat> something completely yeah. different than was first pitched. Yeah. It, well, what happened actually was they had done they had done the first season, and they had to. They had to uh, shoot it in Canada. Long story short, because came because of some of his drug problems. And he's and Canadian. He's Canadian. Couldn't get out of Canada. Okay. They couldn't get him out of Canada to come here and shoot. So they shot. They shot there. Okay. And Feldman was very controlling. And, and where are you at the time? Are you working for the production company? At the you- time, I am with. Uh, we at the time we had formed. I had jumped from. Um, uh, from um, three ball, three ball. Thank you. I jumped from three ball with one of the partners and formed Tijuana, Tijuana. people. And who was your partner? Uh, John Foy. John Foy. John Foy. And John was one of the original uh, principals at three ball. Okay. And he and I left to form Tijuana. <clears throat> and so we got a call. How did you settle on the name Tijuana for your production company? I've, uh, always, I've always wondered that. Yeah, because uh, we, we couldn't come up with a name and basically our agents and everyone were saying like, we need to get you guys out. You need a name and we couldn't come up with anything. And he called me one day and he goes, you know, they referred it to, uh, Tijuana is TJ and your first initials T and mine's J. What do you think about Tijuana? And I was like, done. <laughs> done. <laughs> Plus it represented a, a, it worked, a certain though. attitude that we were interested in. It well. did. It, it represented, I don't want to say a recklessness, well, but I, I would say an, you know, an edge yeah, that the reality that TV business was basically you know based upon at the time. Yeah. All right. So you said they had shot a first season. So, so they shot a first season. you weren't part no, of the first season? we didn't do the first season. Okay. So what happened was, you know, and you referenced those other shows like Bonaducci and Sai. More. And they had done this first season. It was like a, it was kind of like a sitcom. It was a sitcom, right? Yeah. And it was, it was, eh, you know. I uh, think I remember. Okay. So my memory of it, the first season is kind of like You, Me, and Dupree, that old movie with Owen uh, Wilson, yes, where the, yes. Feldman's the married one. Yep. And Feldman's like the one that's got his life together. Yeah. Um, and Haim is like the third wheel, kind of like former addict type annoying guy that comes and crashes with them. Right. And it was very, it was very sitcom. It was very, very sitcom esque. And, and you know, they, what happened was the, the network was kind of like, we really want to edge this up. Yeah. And, and so what happened, you know, Feldman had it, he, he said it as a, as a sitcom so that they would always be in control together and he would be in, in control of it. And, you know, I said to the network, like, look, because they came to us because at the time it was like I'd come off Bonaduce and Sizemore right. and so it was like let's try to let's try to edge this up a little bit and so I flew to uh, I flew to Canada to see Haim and at the time like all his teeth were chipped because he, he's like, biting pills and everything and, his, and and he was a he was a bit of a mess but I loved him he, he's a, I loved him and we had this great couple hours and at the end you know he tackled me. You know, on the couch, you know, and he goes, we're making a comeback. This is going to be great. I'm going to be on the front of People magazine, you know, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, like, like, uh, like most, uh, whatever, uh, sexiest man, sexiest alive. man alive. Thank you. So, so I went back and I He's met a with sweetheart then. Oh, Hain I was a sweetheart. I, right? I love, I love, I love Corey. Hain. Love okay. Corey. Hain. And so I came back and met with Feldman. And, Feldman's and it, living in L.A.? Feldman's in L.A. And it was rough. But we started the proceedings and we were able. Why was it rough with Feldman? He's he's give me how characteristically he was different than than Haim. The real problem was that I said we're going to shoot separate stories, and we're going to bring you guys together at different points. Oh. And he knew by him not being around that he he didn't know what what Haim was going to say and what Haim was going to do and and what Haim was going to say about Feldman. So Feldman never wanted to be made to look yeah 
negative. Very, yeah. No, in a negative light. In real, way. real, real concerned about, about okay. all of that. That was the primary issue. And we, we worked around that. And, and that was another one where I felt like, okay, I can't pull this trick too often, but this is a good one for a therapist as well. Like to sit these guys down and do couple therapy, couples therapy might be an interesting thing. I was told an anecdote that there was uh, a plan to do talking head interviews in the show. And you guys approached um, Feldman to do it. And he was like, no, we're not going to do stupid reality show interviews. So then you approached Haim to do it. And Haim was like, yeah, I'll do it. No big deal. And then Feldman got to Haim and said, are they going to pay you extra to do those interviews? And Haim was like, well, no, I don't think so. And then Haim said, like, you got to pay me to do these interviews. Like, I'm told I should be getting paid. And you guys are like, well, we're not going to pay you extra to do interviews as part of the show. And then Feldman actually ended up doing all of them in the end. That was the first season. That was the first. That season. was the first season. Because, I've heard this story because they punched. I think, but to, to give people a sense of like, yeah. the, the what the stories I've been told about mm-hmm. how Feldman was always kind of able to be a puppet master, absolutely to Haim. If from your observation, you weren't there that first season, so you can't confirm that story. But from your observations, dealing with them, would you be surprised that that was true? Not at all. No, I wouldn't okay. be surprised at all. Yeah. Um, very much like that. You know, mm-hmm. there, there was, and, and I think oddly enough, it was a, although they're the same age or roughly the same age, it was almost like, I think Haim almost looked at him like as a big brother. And so when right. he said, do this, you know, Corey kind of jumped. But then when we got in, it was sort of like, you know, I had conversations with both of them and, and it was clear that, you know, Feldman was going to be a challenge. I mean, look, yeah. Feldman was fine. He, he was fine, but I, I loved, I, I, I had mad love for Haim yeah. um, and what he, what he was going through. But we, but what you caught that second season it was, was, it was Haim going in a downward spiral. Yeah. He was, he was having real troubles. We were able to get him out of Canada. That's a long story, but whatever, we were able to do it. Right. And we got him out of Canada and got him down here. And we sh- started shooting separately, and um, we knew that there were some dark secrets that they both had that they had never been really willing to talk about. And um, literally, we we set up we set up like the 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 scene from Heat, you know, where it's De Niro and Pacino, and we had this we we cleared a diner in the valley. And, um, you know, we, we sat Haim down and he was sitting in there or Feldman was sitting in there. And of course, you know, mm-hmm. Feldman had his hood up and it was like a boxing match to him and Haim came in and walked down. And it, it's honestly one of the more powerful things I've been a part of because they just got after it. And that was our first. Did they address everything? They, they started, they danced around it. And then we ended up ultimately like it, it fed out and <clears throat> we ultimately got into to things by the end of the season. But that was the first episode and it, it's still wow. one of the more powerful things that, that I've been involved with but that was you know then we'd bring them together with the therapist mm-hmm. and and that was that was pretty fascinating stuff too but it was really clear that you know Corey was having a lot of trouble yeah and but he, well there's that there's an episode where they're doing a, re, a, a remake of the lost boys or a sequel to the lost boys yeah. and Haim won't come out of his trailer yeah and and that night that was all real right yeah that was all real and and that night you know he he was he was a mess and got away from our production and jumped in his car. So we followed him to his place and actually got there before he did. And, you know, when you look back and see that, you know, he's out of his mind and never should have driven. And, and, but it was so telling, you know, yeah. he, and, 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 you know, we, we finished the season and I was really proud of how it, how it came out. Um, yeah, I get worked up. Um, but you know, I, I was in an airport um, I don't know where, but I get a call that he had passed, he had OD'd. 
and it was it was brutal and uh sorry man no, and then sorry. and then i the next call i got was uh from people magazine Ugh. and and i <clears throat> i thought back to that first time you know oh. when he said i'm going to be on the cover of people magazine and he was you know, in a in a corner in the on the cover. He said, well, We're gonna make a comeback and I'm gonna be on the cover. I'm gonna be on the cover and People he was magazine. on the cover, but it was because he died, you know, and it was like, yeah. It was it was it was brutal. It was uh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But he he was a good he was a really good dude. And I got to know his mom really well and yeah. um, and he was still very close with his mom. Oh, very close, yeah. And she's a great, great woman. And um yeah, so you know, it, that that was one that, that I was really, really proud of, and I thought we did some really good work, but it ended tragically. Yeah. Well, not to take you. Not from, to bring not it to, down. Well, not, no, well, not to take you from one, you know, darker story to another. But you want to talk about the Unabomber? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there's no, there's no easy transition. Well, there. you know, it's I funny. Mean, it's funny, man, because you know, like when we came off those shows, yeah. Like everybody, at Tijuana, like we're looking at each other and going, "We're about to get pigeonholed here." You know, I mean, we're, right. we're, we're about talk about to... that. Was there a fear that you were going to be oh, stuck in just this reality, absolutely, docu soap bubble of just I, like, yeah, yeah? Because yeah. I had become the guy that you go to when you have the crazy person. Yeah. Like it really was. It was like that. I was getting calls a lot for just like, right. "Hey, this guy just came off meth, but we think there's a show there." And you know, and, hey, <laughs> hey, she just got out of rehab, and right. like, do you want to meet her? And like, it really started. To you started getting those calls with all the problem childs. Yeah, absolutely. But and, you know, isn't that fascinating that – so you're at Tijuana. You're running your company. You're getting the incoming calls, which is everything you could ever ask absolutely. for as a producer, absolutely. right? And only so few do. But even at that time, you're worried about getting pigeonholed into one genre of reality TV storytelling. And I feel like it's funny because I feel like no matter what – I feel like 95% of the business of producers – all of them want to be able to try to break into another genre. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like so even exciting. right. It's like even Craig Poligian, <laughs> yeah, sure. like Craig Poligian, who's one of the most prolific people in Absolutely. our business, wants to do scripted. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And then like starts focusing on scripted and gets a show on Freeform and like starts making those types of shows. Mark Burnett, like the king of our business, undisputed king of our business, late in his career starts doing scripted because he wants to play in that sandbox and not be viewed as just the reality guy. Right. Even though he's like a billionaire reality guy, right, right. that's not good enough. He doesn't want to be looked at as just that from the creative community. <laughs> and then you have people that like only make comedies that want to make drama, want to make, want to make features. I don't know, you know what, what I mean? that's about. I know exactly. It's what like, you there's mean. only JJ Abrams and Spielberg who are like, no, I'm good with what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. Fine, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's so fascinating. So at the time you were conscious of like, I hope people don't just see me as this. To the, to and the, you came up like in your spirit, in your soul. You were a writer. Yeah. Still. Yeah. And, and, and it will always, you know, right. at least somewhere in my mind and soul consider myself that. Right. But, you know, we, we, <laughs> we made – we heard that there was an opportunity. The, the Miss America pageant. Right. Was doing a sort of precursor to the pageant where they were doing a reality-ish, competition-ish show that was going to highlight the girls and everything and, and, and get, get the audience to get to know them, certainly right. to then try to bring more audience to the, to the okay. pageant itself. And we went after that harder than we've ever gone after anything. It was a jump ball? It was, it was open for business? Yeah. And we were just like – I, I remember just in meetings saying we have to get this because we that's need some the, feminine skewing absolutely stuff, yeah. like that will at least we can yeah. say like we'll start getting we the housewives conversation exactly. like like exactly. no, seriously yeah, yeah it's true it's they true. think you can only do guy stuff or you can only do female skewing yeah, stuff yeah 
And that was for style? That was for – who the heck was that for? I oh, feel like it was – It might have been for style. It was either style E or maybe TLC, but I feel like it was a style show. It might have been TLC. I think it was TLC. Was actually. it TLC? I think, I think so. I think okay. so. Man, that's – It wasn't um, CMT, right? No, no. It wasn't VH1? No. I think it was TLC. Okay. But we went after that hard. I mean really hard. And uh, we met with uh, Sam Haskell who was sort of running the yeah. ex-agent and he was huh. running the, the – the, he had a lot to do with the Miss America pageant at the time. Great guy. And um, and we finally had – after like six or seven meetings, you know, we convinced Sam right. that we were the guys for the job. And so we ended up at the Queen Mary, set the whole thing down there, you know, and, and lit it up. We had helicopters. <laughs> we did the whole thing as we wanted this had a real thing to, budget. Yeah, we had a real budget. And, and we wanted to just show that – I mean, look, the girls were never willing to do – you know anything, anything that would harm them getting exactly, votes. Exactly, because the big right. their big right. show was that. It's you actually know, the was, worst crop of characters. It because really was. It the was whole terrible. competition is to be the perfect woman. Exactly. That is anything but a reality star. And they all had handlers, and it was, it sure. was from that aspect. It was it was terrible. But right. we were thrilled because we right. were like, we got this to gig. The like, there's nobody shooting smack on this show. Like, it's, <laughs> it's all good. Like, we, you know, so we had we had at least crossed over a little bit in our. And minds. I crossed over here um, with you because you had created. Um, the ID show, you, yeah, right, yeah, betrayed, betrayed. You 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 created betrayed. Is it now in season three? Season three, yes. season three. Yeah, you created that while you were over here at all three in a producing deal. But tell me the story of how you sold Manhunt Unabomber to Discovery. Yeah, I w- this was a big miniseries for them. Yeah, I was really fortunate. This is a straight scripted miniseries. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was um, it was a great experience for me and a real learning experience for me. Uh huh. Um, did you option a book? Like, how did this come nah, to well, be? No, I'll tell you. It, 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 years ago, uh, probably eight, nine years ago, um, I had had this idea called Going Hollywood. And oddly enough, sold it to uh, TLC. Yeah. Uh, Michael Klein there, who I just adore. Great mm-hmm. guy. Um, he was at TLC at the time. And the idea was we would find – we would throw out the net to find um, kids that wanted to be in the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it would be, director, writer, whatever. And then we would put them into three – industry camps, you know, separately. They'd live together at night, then they'd go off to work the next day to whatever their job was. And Michael said to me, look, I love this idea. If you can find if you can find the three three good camps, that would be amazing and, and we're good to you go and show. start the casting and, and everything. So we had thousands of submissions. I mean, kids sent really creative stuff. It was mm. great. So from that aspect of it, it was it was really good. Um, the problem was finding the three camps that were a high enough level and, and diverse right. enough that were going to be interesting. And I had met uh, Dana Brunetti. Um, who at the time was working with Kevin Spacey? And oh, they, they this had, was the Kevin. You did this with Kevin Spacey. Yeah, and they okay. they did uh, they had they had Trigger Street, right? And so, um, you know, I went to Dana. That was the name of the company. Trigger that was Street? Trigger Street was the name of the company. So uh, I had found um, I had gotten uh, Robert Evans, the producer, to be one of the right? Bob, Bob, Bob Evans. Evans. Wait, what do you mean you got Robert? Well, Evans? we we worked our way into a meeting. You're and breezing through up- the Robert Evans story. <laughs> We we were well, able 46 to 46 minutes in, <laughs> and you're just going to breeze through the Robert Evans story. Uh, I don't know, man. I've been this talking is one of the so much. Moguls in the history of like our business. Yeah. The kid stays in the picture, folks. This yeah. is who we're talking about. Yeah, the kid stays in the Holy picture. Holy crap! And you somehow attach him to this project. Yeah, we. Uh, I'd gotten. To Where know, did that meeting take place? Just give me that. Uh, in, in his office, which was amazing. On the 
on the Paramount lot? Paramount lot. Okay. Um, I'd gotten to know his um, uh, development executive in uh, the work for him. Okay. And floated the idea by her first. And she said, let me talk to Bob. I'll what was the meeting. idea? Well, it was going Hollywood. It was like, oh, you, it was this you idea. have to, yeah, okay, it was this it, idea. It. So it's like, you're, you're going to have to. Okay, I thought you were telling the Unabomber. No, no, no. So I'm got sorry. It, I'll, I'll, get to, I'll, okay. I'll get to that. So yeah, you got Bob Evans as one of the camps that the kids would go to in going Hollywood. Exactly. And that's how you met Dana Brunetti and Spacey? So I met Dana. Yeah, it's true. We got to get back to Unabomber. So, so. I'm going like I'm, uh, yeah, I'm dodging it for whatever reason. I don't know, but um, so so we got uh, Robert Evans. So then, then we got Method Man. So I had Robert Evans. <laughs> Two radically different. Yeah, kids. exactly. So I had the diversity thing and yeah, just yeah, yeah. radically different aspects. And so and Dana. Covers. So Trigger Street was one. Well, I hadn't gotten Trigger Street. Oh, okay, okay. Yet. So okay. I had known Dana, and and so then once I had Evans, Evans, it, because Dana at first was reticent. Was like, ah. Well, because when you think of the great moguls of our time, you think Robert Evans and Method Man. Exactly, exactly. You they know, should do a road yeah, show together for right. sure. So uh, then I went to Dana and I said, hey. Come on, you and Kevin. Right. Evans is in. Right. Meth's in. Come on. And at this you know? point, had, had Spacey won an Academy Award yet? Yes. Okay. Yes. So For uh, Usual Suspects, I think. Yeah, so he's post-Usual Suspects, Spacey, and you're getting his company to be represented on, well, Dana on a was TLC like, show? So here's what happened. So Dana was, Dana was into it because okay. Dana, Dana ultimately came around. He was like, yeah. okay, I see how this could help our, help right. our brand, help right, our right, thing, right. whatever. And Dana's a great guy. We're dear friends to this day, and okay. I, I love him. Um but it was it was convincing Kevin, right. you know, and so Kevin was basically like, "Look, I'll do this, but you're going to get me. I'm going to be back and forth to London. I'm going to be all over. I'll do some skypes with this kid, but that's going to be it." And we were like, "Fine, fine, you know, like that's D- fine." Dana will be the face of the company. Take it. Dana will be the okay. face of the company. Every once in a while, you'll splash in. It'll right. it'll be great. So we so TLC was like. This is great. Evans and meth and you have an Oscar winning actor now attached to your show on on TLC. Can you you believe this was a TLC show? No, I I can't to this day, nor can Michael Klein or any Hollywood idea on TLC. It seems so crazy. 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 It was crazy then. It's even crazier now when you you think back on it. Okay. But so that became – so I was going to say quickly, but that seems impossible. Um, But – Basically, we started to shoot it, and stylistically, it was really cool. We yeah. were doing it in this really doc style, and, and and we started to show. You know, once I got a couple of things cut together, I just sent some clips to Dana, who sent them to Kevin, and Kevin liked them, and so then he became more willing to to do okay. some things uh, with us. And uh, you know, long story short, ultimately ended up like we went to the Cannes Film Festival wow. with him, like all this stuff. So, you got, wow, you got access to all that. So it was great. So. Um, so that's how I met Dane and Kevin. Okay. And we liked working together and they liked what I was doing and, and, and they said, look, you know, you seem to have a good eye for things <laughs> for whatever reason. And, you know, let's uh, – if you ever need us as a hammer, you know, we'd love to do some scripted or we'd love to do whatever, you know. Okay. And um, so, so you we, had an open door to bring them ideas. Yeah, now. which was great. And they were really gracious in that way. And so, uh, so we had uh, an executive that worked for them had um, you know turned me on to um, these two guys that had written uh, uh, a script about Unabomber. Okay. And so they came in to meet with us, and um, and we're about halfway through the the meeting, and the one guy reaches down into his satchel and he pulls out this you know, probably eighty pages of just and drops it on the on the conference room table. And I looked at it and I was like, is that what I think it is? He was like, it was a copy of Kaczynski's manifesto. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I called Dana and I was like, 
you guys have always said, you know, if you need a hammer, it's like, what do you think about this? And he was like, we're, we're in like, we're just, oh we're my gosh. In. And, um, yeah. And by the way, I mean, Kevin and Dana were originally producers on betrayed as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Originally. I did not know yeah, that. Originally. Um, so, so did you just walk it? Did you do the rounds? So how, we went, how did it land at discovery? Yeah, so we went, I had been over at discovery for another pitch, like a unscripted pitch. And at the end, small talk, they just said, so what else you got going on? You know, I said, wow, we're right. developing the scripted thing. It's really cool. It's Unabomber. And, you know, we're looking to attach. We have the detective that was, you right. know, principal in solving it and, and everything. And they were like, well, look, we're opening up putting a lot of money into scripted. Yeah, John Goldwyn was running their script exactly. at, at the time, exactly. right? Exactly. So they brought John in to, to really, you know, suss out. And what they did was the Harley right. Davidson thing. Exactly. And, right. So they were in production on Harley Davidson. And so I, you know, because I promised that we'd go there first, which I did. And so we said, you know, look, we'd like to bring it over. So, um, so here's, okay, this is good. So I, I didn't know who John Goldwyn was. All right. I didn't know who John Goldwyn was. And so they said, well, John Goldwyn wants to meet with you guys. And I was like, okay, great. So Dana, okay, great. You know, Dana doesn't say who John Goldwyn is. I'm sure Dana knew who John Goldwyn was. Yeah, John Goldwyn, tell people who John Goldwyn Metro is. Metro Goldwyn Mayor, you know. It, it's he's his, a descendant of Metro yes, Goldwyn Mayor. And he's a super accomplished MGM. He's a descendant yes. of one of the founding partners of MGM. And he's, he's, a, part, he's a legacy of Hollywood lore. And a, and a, a very accomplished producer in his own. Yeah, right. he had been working for Lauren Michaels, I think. I think that's right. At, running features of Broadway Video. Broadway Video. And I think he'd been on the studio side. Yeah, he did a great Ben Stiller film that I like. Um, Zoolander? Nope. I love that, but no. Um, <laughs> Comedy? No. I could play this game all day. Yeah, exa- exactly. Um, but uh, long story short, I didn't right. know who John Was it the Greenberg one? No. It oh. was uh, – Sorry. I, I, sorry, I got you. You, you were no, out no, of no, that. No, I got no, you no. back in. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I, finally you I got me back in. That's one of my – That's one of my – You finally got triggers, me back on the track. triggers. If it's, if it's a pop <laughs> trivia thing, I got to keep going until I get it. Oh, okay. I'm going to think of this on my drive home. Um, Tropic Thunder? No. Keep going. Uh was a sort of famous character. Um, oh, was it the um, um, yeah the the you've Walter got it. Mitty? Yes, we did it, people. Yes, we did it. It took me a little bit to get there. Finally, it took me a little bit to get there, but I wasn't going to let my listeners down. I wasn't going to let the peeps down. <laughs> now, now that I've completely forgotten this what bastion we're of about. useless pop trivia knowledge. Exactly. But John, John produced that and and many other things and TV and films and anyway, super accomplished. I don't know who John Goldwyn is. Okay, so that, that lets you know a little bit about me. So. Um, so John's office calls and says, you know, look, why don't we go to lunch you know, to, for the pitch? Right. And I was about half chapped. Like right. I was just like, we're coming in to pitch like a really right. heavy hitter, like serious, you know, yeah. scripted drama. And I don't want everybody eating right. while we're doing this. Right. You know? So I called back and I was just like, please tell John that we'd prefer a meeting <laughs> I don't know who this John is. Yeah, whoever this John Goldwyn you tell, is, yeah. you know, tell him that you know. Right. And, uh, and was the plan for the writers to be at this lunch, or was it just you and Spacey and it was? Dana? Well, Kevin wasn't. Kevin, it was Dana and I. Okay, yeah. it was Dana and, and you. Okay. And, 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 and uh, so it wasn't really Carter a pitch Swan. meeting. It, it, it was. Were no, the writers going to be there? They, yeah. They, okay. The they were in the original there. meeting. Okay. We ended up not using those writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And, and anyway, that that's a whole thing. But but we we went in, and so so I called Dana yeah. and I said. I said, Dana, this guy? this guy wanted to do lunch for this thing. Like I, you know, yeah. and I told them, you know, yeah. we're coming in for a serious pitch. And he goes, dude, do you know who John Goldwyn yeah. is? And I was but like, Troy, I don't know. Is his this- family is the G <laughs> in MGM. MGM. 
was like, oh boy. All right. But in a weird way, it was kind of like, yeah, because he like, must oh. have been like, wow, this dude. He was like, this guy's got options. Who this guy is. Okay. I don't know, you know? So uh, Dana and I, uh, Carter Swan, a development executive for him, which was who was also re- really responsible for, for bringing things in and getting things started. Great guy. Um, we went in and pitched John Goldwyn. And I had said to the writers when they originally met with me, listen, I'm going to, when I give you the sign, like when I wink at you, pull it out. Do, do what you did in this meeting and just drop it on the table. Right. And this is the actual Kaczynski. It's a copy of the, copy. I think the okay. original is in the, in the Smithsonian. Right. I think this, this is okay. the one copy that existed okay. and because these guys yeah, yeah, yeah. had, the one was, a, the one guy had an FBI connection that was one of the writers. Okay. So, so like, you're able, saying when, he, when I give you the sign, drop, drop it, on, it the on the table. This is the big finish. Right. right. So we have, we're doing a great pitch and we, we John Goldwyn's leaning in, you know, you can tell he's, mm-hmm. he's interested. He's, mm-hmm. he's not saying anything. He's just looking at us and, and really interested in, and I give the sign, you know, to the one writer. I wink at him. Troy just winked. Yeah, yeah I just winked. <laughs> Forgot. Yeah, it's like an, they're all it's an watching. Audio podcast. Yeah, sorry about Troy, that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I, he reaches in and he drops this thing on the table, and there's a thud, and John Goldwyn looks at it and he goes, "Is that what I think it is?" And we said, "Yeah," and he slammed his hand on the table. He goes, "Damn, you guys know how to close." And he's like, <laughs> he's like, he's like. I'm going to take this to Rich Ross, but I, we're going to want this. So just don't go anywhere. And, and, and then – How quickly did you get the call? Uh, very quickly. Like within hours? Yeah, a couple uh, – day. And yeah. was the plan script Bible to series? Script Bible to miniseries? Yeah, but they, okay. they, they had a real good feeling that you know, we're going to find – they, they wanted to find another writer. Okay. Um, so we did that together. But, but that's where you know, Kevin and Dana were super gracious again. Like they said, look, man, it's your call. Like you know, bird in hand or we can run this around town and I think right. we'll probably get some other bites, you know. Right. And, you know, I just wanted the shot. You know, I just wanted to, to do it, you know. And so I was like, if you guys don't mind, let's do it with these guys. And they were like, fine, let's do it. You know, who – now, who, tell me about the cast again. Who is – uh, Well, cast? Paul Bettany – Paul Bettany was, um, was Kaczynski. Right. And that was actually interesting because – you know, when we landed someone like Bettany, and look, I, I don't, uh, there's no way that I'm going to be saying, like, I was on set every day and had a lot yeah, to yeah, do yeah. with this. I was sure. responsible for getting the ball rolling, and, sure. and they let me, you know, give notes and right. all that. It, th- yeah. This was not like, you know, yeah. uh, a Troy Sear production yeah, sure. uh, by any means. But the, the really fascinating thing was, you know, I think, you know, our thought was to sort of tell it in a linear fashion at the beginning. But once you get somebody like Paul Bettany, then it was like, well, we can't, what, are we going to see Paul Bettany in the last two episodes? Like, how, what are we right. going to do? You know, so then it sort of became like, and, and the writers were really fascinated with Frost Nixon. Mm. And and the actual detective who uh, helped solve the case was really instrumental in solving the case. It was important to sort of have it be his story as well as mm. Kaczynski's, and really more mm. through his eyes. And but once we got once we got Kaczynski, once we got uh, Paul Bettany, it was kind of like okay, let's start playing with time. Right. You know that way Bettany can be in every episode, and we can really you know. So it sort of uh, it sort of went from yeah. there. But well, I hope you'll be closing. For the New York Post <laughs> in the near future. I uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, no, man, this has been a this has been a kick. I really uh, really appreciate it. Congratulations on the gig, man. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs>